Chapter Sixteen of Hind Swaraj, or Indian Home Rule. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Hind Swaraj, or Indian Home Rule, by Mohandas Karamchand Gandhi. Chapter Sixteen brute force reader this is a new doctrine that what is gained through fear is retained only while the fear lasts surely what is given will not be withdrawn editor not so the proclamation of eighteen fifty seven was given at the end of a revolt and for the purpose of preserving peace when peace was secured and people became simple-minded its full effect was toned down. If I ceased stealing for fear of punishment, I would recommence the operation so soon as the fear is withdrawn from me. This is almost a universal experience. We have assumed that we can get men to do things by force, and therefore we use force. READER Will you not admit that you are arguing against yourself? you know that what the english obtained in their own country they have obtained by using brute force i know you have argued that what they have obtained is useless but that does not affect my argument they wanted useless things and they got them my point is that their desire was fulfilled what does it matter what means they adopted why should we not obtain our goal which is good by any means whatsoever even by using violence shall i think of the means when i have to deal with a thief in the house my duty is to drive him out anyhow you seem to admit that we have received nothing and that we shall receive nothing by petitioning why then may we not do so using brute force and to retain what we may receive we shall keep up the fear by using the same force to the extent that it may be necessary you will not find fault with a continuance of force to prevent a child from thrusting its foot into a fire. Somehow or other we have to gain our end. Editor. Your reasoning is plausible. It has deluded many. I have used similar arguments before now. But I think I know better now, and I shall endeavor to undeceive you. Let us first take the argument that we are justified in gaining our end by using brute force, because the English gained theirs by using similar means. It is perfectly true that they used brute force, and that it is possible for us to do likewise, but by using similar means we can get only the same thing that they got. You will admit that we do not want that your belief that there is no connection between the means and the end is a great mistake through that mistake even men who have been considered religious have committed grievous crimes your reasoning is the same as saying that we can get a rose through planting a noxious weed if i want to cross the ocean i can do so only by means of a vessel if i were to use a cart for that purpose both the cart and i would soon find the bottom as is the god, so is the votary, is a maxim worth considering. Its meaning has been distorted, and men have gone astray. The means may be likened to a seed, the end to a tree, and there is just the same inviolable connection between the means and the end as there is between the seed and the tree. 
i am not likely to obtain the result flowing from the worship of god by laying myself prostrate before satan if therefore any one were to say i want to worship god it does not matter that i do so by means of satan it would be set down as ignorant folly we reap exactly as we sow the english in eighteen thirty three obtained greater voting power by violence did they by using brute force better appreciate their duty they wanted the right of voting which they obtained by using physical force but real rights are the result of a performance of duty these rights they have not obtained we therefore have before us in england the force of everybody wanting and insisting on his rights nobody thinking of his duty and where everybody wants rights who shall give them and to whom I do not wish to imply that they never perform their duty, but I do wish to imply that they do not perform the duty to which those rights should correspond. And as they do not perform that particular duty, namely acquire fitness, their rights have proved a burden to them. In other words, what they have obtained is an exact result of the means they adopted. They used the means corresponding to the end. If I want to deprive you of your watch, I shall certainly have to fight for it. If I want to buy your watch, I shall have to pay you for it. And if I want a gift, I shall have to plead for it. And according to the means I employ, that watch is stolen property, my own property, or a donation. Thus we see three different results from three different means. Will you still say that means do not matter? now we shall take the example given by you of the thief to be driven out i do not agree with you that the thief may be driven out by any means if it is my father who has come to steal i shall use one kind of means if it is an acquaintance i shall use another and in the case of a perfect stranger i shall use a third if it is a white man you will perhaps say you will use means different from those you will adopt with an indian thief if it is a weakling, the means will be different from those to be adopted for dealing with an equal in physical strength. And if the thief is armed from tip to toe, I shall simply remain quiet. Thus we have a variety of means between the father and the armed man. Again, I fancy that I should pretend to be sleeping, whether the thief was my father or that strong-armed man. The reason for this is that my father would also be armed, and I should succumb to the strength possessed by either, and allow my things to be stolen. The strength of my father would make me weep with pity. The strength of the armed man would rouse in me anger, and we should become enemies. Such is the curious situation. From these examples we may not be able to agree as to the means to be adopted in each case. I myself seem clearly to see what should be done in all these cases, but the remedy may frighten you. I therefore hesitate to place it before you. For the time being I will leave you to guess it, and if you cannot it is clear that you will have to adopt different means in each case. You will also have seen that any means will not avail to drive away the thief. You will have to adopt means to fit each case. Hence it follows that your duty is not to drive away the thief by any means you like, let us proceed a little further. That a well-armed man has stolen your property, 
you have harbored the thought you are filled with anger you argue that you want to punish that rogue not for your own sake but for the good of your neighbors you have collected a number of armed men you want to take his house by assault he is duly informed of it he runs away he too is incensed he collects his brother robbers and sends you a defiant message that he will commit robbery in broad daylight you are strong you do not fear him you are prepared to receive him meanwhile the robber pesters your neighbors they complain before you you reply that you are doing all for their sake you do not mind that your own goods have been stolen your neighbors reply that the robber never pestered them before and that he commenced his depredations only after you declared hostilities against him you are between scylla and charybdis you are full of pity for the poor men what they say is true what are you to do you will be disgraced if you now leave the robber alone you therefore tell the poor men never mind come my wealth is yours i will give you arms i will teach you how to use them you should belabor the rogue don't you leave him alone and so the battle grows the robbers increase in number your neighbors have deliberately put themselves to inconvenience thus the result of wanting to take revenge upon the robber is that you have disturbed your own peace you are in perpetual fear of being robbed and assaulted your courage has given place to cowardice if you will patiently examine the argument you will see that i have not overdrawn the picture this is one of the means now let us examine the other you set this armed robber down as an ignorant brother you intend to reason with him at a suitable opportunity you argue that he is after all a fellow-man you do not know what prompted him to steal you therefore decide that when you can you will destroy the man's motive for stealing whilst you are thus reasoning with yourself the man comes again to steal instead of being angry with him you take pity on him you think that this stealing habit must be a disease with him henceforth you therefore keep your doors and windows open you change your sleeping place and you keep your things in a manner most accessible to him the robber comes again and is confused as all this is new to him nevertheless he takes away your things but his mind is agitated he inquires about you in the village he comes to learn about your broad and loving heart he repents he begs your pardon returns you your things and leaves off the stealing habit he becomes your servant and you find for him honorable employment this is the second method thus you see different means have brought about totally different results i do not wish to deduce from this that robbers will act in the above manner or that all will have the same pity and love like you but i wish only to show that only fair means can produce fair results and that at least in the majority of cases if not indeed in all the force of love and pity is infinitely greater than the force of arms there is harm in the exercise of brute force never in that of pity now we will take the question of petitioning it is a fact beyond dispute that a petition without the backing of force is useless however the late justice renaud used to say that petitions served a useful purpose because they were a means of educating people they give the latter an idea of their condition 
and warn the rulers. From this point of view they are not altogether useless. A petition of an equal is a sign of courtesy, a petition from a slave is a symbol of his slavery, a petition backed by force is a petition from an equal, and when he transmits his demand in the form of a petition it testifies to his nobility. Two kinds of force can back a petition. We will hurt you if you do not give this is one kind of force. It is the force of arms, whose evil results we have already examined. The second kind of force can be thus stated. If you do not concede to our demand, we will be no longer your petitioners. You can govern us only so long as we remain the governed. We shall no longer have any dealings with you. The force implied in this may be described as love force, soul force, or, more popularly, but less accurately, passive resistance. This force is indestructible. He who uses it perfectly understands his position. We have an ancient proverb, which literally means, one negative cures thirty-six diseases. The force of arms is powerless when matched against the force of love or the soul. Now we shall take your last illustration, that of the child thrusting its foot into fire. It will not avail you. What do you really do to the child? Supposing that it can exert so much physical force that it renders you powerless and rushes into fire, then you cannot prevent it. There are only two remedies open to you. Either you must kill it in order to prevent it from perishing in the flames, or you must give your own life because you do not wish to see it perish before your very eyes. You will not kill it. If your heart is not quite full of pity, it is possible that you will not surrender yourself by preceding the child and going into the fire yourself. You, therefore, helplessly allow it to go into the flames. Thus, at any rate, you are not using physical force. I hope you will not consider that it is still physical force, though of a low order, when you would forcibly prevent the child from rushing toward the fire if you could. That force is of a different order, and we have to understand what it is. Remember that in thus preventing the child you are minding entirely its own interest. You are exercising authority for its sole benefit. Your example does not apply to the English. In using brute force against the English you consult entirely your own, that is the national interest. There is no question here either of pity or of love. If you say that the actions of the English, being evil, represent fire, and that they proceed to their actions through ignorance, and that therefore they occupy the position of a child, and that you want to protect such a child, then you will have to overtake every such evil action by whomsoever committed, and, as in the case of the child, you will have to sacrifice yourself. If you are capable of such immeasurable pity, I wish you well in its exercise. End of chapter 16